0: Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, Episode 12, recorded Sunday, August 18th, 2019. Hi everyone, and thank you for listening to this latest edition of Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Centropino. Seems like we just started our dive season here in New England, and now it's already the middle of August. In a few short weeks, we're going to be flipping the calendar over to fall, but that doesn't mean we're done with our dive season. We still have a lot of ways to go. Last weekend, we spent uh, in Dutch Springs in Pennsylvania, and wow, what a spectacular weekend we had down there. There's some uh, perfect weather conditions, uh, low humidity and warm. We did some great diving, and also we had some great socializing with our dive community after, uh, after we'll be finished up for the day. As I said, there's still a lot of diving ahead for us here in New England. Uh, we will be doing an open water course next weekend. Uh, our rescue class will be going off, uh, and we'll be back down at Dutch Springs in a few short weeks to complete wreck and advanced open water diving. And that's not all. We'll be heading down to Little Cayman in October for some diving before we hit Dima in November. And then we'll be uh, heading out to the Philippines, Donna and I, for some diving. So don't let the dive season slip by. There's still a lot of time in 2019. Get with your local dive shop, get out there and have some fun. Several years ago, PADI updated their open water certification requirements to include the deployment of a surface marker buoy, or SMB, and you do this as part of your open water dives. Now, this is something that I'm very pleased to see being incorporated into the training. The SMB, or as some folks call it, the safety sausage, is a critical piece of safety equipment, especially for ocean diving. Having this piece of equipment is the first step. Equally important is knowing how to use it. You don't want to have to wait until there's a real world need to deploy your SMB as being the first time you're using it. So now Patty has ensured that you know how to deploy a surface marker buoy. But here's a caution. There are many different styles and sizes of surface marker buoys. Some are fairly simple. They have just an oral inflate valve in it. You push it in with your teeth or with your lips, and you blow it up. Other surface marker buoys might have an inflator hose that you connect to your low-pressure inflator hose from your BCD. Some of them have uh, overpressurization valves or dump valves. You have to know how to operate your SMB in the real world. So now I want to talk a little bit about some real-world examples of uh, using your surface marker buoy. Um, When we would dive the back wall of Molokini Crater in Hawaii, we were required to carry our SMB. It's a drift dive on the back wall, and the boat needs to stay well off the crater. When you come up, you're going to need to inflate your surface marker buoy so that the boat can see you, because they're quite a ways off the crater, and then motor in and pick you up. Deploying your SMB at the surface is essential. You might also need to uh, deploy your surface marker buoy if you know you missed getting back to the boat or if you come up uh, too far away from the boat. Here's an example. Several years ago, Don and I were diving with some friends down in Turks and Caicos. While diving, uh, the current picked up on that, uh, on that dive. And as we came up over the wall, we knew uh, we were beyond the turn marker that they had placed uh, on the wall for us to get back to the boat. We wanted to make sure that the boat knew uh, we missed the turn and that they would be able to see us as we came up. So we all came up to 15 feet and Dennis, who was diving with us at the time, took out his spool and his safety sausage, partially filled it, and shot it to the surface from 15 feet while we finished our safety stop. Once we surfaced, we saw the boat about 300 yards away. They saw our safety sausage and signaled us, came over, and picked us up. So you never know when you might need that SMB but knowing how to use it is a very essential skill. So please pick up a a safety sausage at your dive shop, make sure you know how to use it and be safe out there. There is an article in the most recent Sport Diver online magazine in the training section titled, How Does a Hyperbaric Chamber Work? This article has a really nice primer on decompression sickness, or DCS. It describes the physics and physiology of how the nitrogen is absorbed into our tissue while we're at depth and how it comes out as we ascend. Too fast and we've got a problem. So, if you were to experience DCS, it's very likely that you're going to need to visit a hyperbaric chamber or a recompression chamber. Very simply, the recompression chamber recreates the environment of a dive at depth. So it's forcing the nitrogen back into your tissue. And then, very slowly, it will bring the diver up to a surface in a controlled manner, much like we should have done during our dive. Now, based on the severity of the uh, decompression sickness, a treatment plan will be mapped out by the physician. And according to this article, that could be one session of several hours or daily sessions of up to a month. The article also goes on to describe what it feels like to be in the hyperbaric chamber, other uses for the hyperbaric chamber, the timing of the treatment, and a section titled, Know Before You Go. Know if there is a hyperbaric chamber close by to where you'll be diving. So how can you find this out? Well, there's a couple of ways. Obviously, the web gives you a lot of research out there. There's a site called the Undersea and Hyperbaric Medical Society, or UHMS, and they maintain the UHMS accredited hyperbaric chamber facilities list. I found it to be full of information about the United States, but somewhat challenging for international chambers. Divers Alert Network, or DAN, has a chamber facility referral network, but I wasn't able to find a list on the DAN website or to be able to search Uh, the Dan website for information. It seems like you would need to call them to find out uh, a chamber that's on their list. So we're going to be going to Little Cayman in October, as I mentioned at the top of the show, and I wanted to know where the nearest chamber is. Well, UHMS site says it's Florida, but I thought there might be one on the islands. That's where Google comes in. The, the hyperbaric chamber um, on Grand Cayman is at the Cayman Island Hospital. So before you go on your next dive trip, it might be a good idea to know where the nearest recompression chamber is, and if you can't find it online, I would just call the dive operator that you're going with and see what they have to say. You know, Tell them that you're going to be diving with them and get that information. And very importantly, uh, don't forget to get your dive accident insurance. I have used Dan for my whole diving career. It's a minimal financial investment for the peace of mind that you'll get. From time to time, I want to talk a little bit about the history of diving. I recently reread a book called The Terrible Hours, and the book was written by Peter Moss. I first read this book when it came out in 1999, and it is the story of the rescue and salvage of the USS Squalus, a submarine that sank off Portsmouth, New Hampshire, in 1939. It's also the story about the man credited with overseeing the rescue and salvage of the Squalas. His name was Charles Mumpson, or in Navy circles, he was better known as Swede Mumpson. I'm not going to get into a long discussion about his biography, but if you read the book, you will certainly find out just what a remarkable life he led. His vision in submarine rescue was the reason that so many men survived that 1939 sinking. The Squalus went down with 59 men on board, and the rescue operation saved 33. His work in submarine rescue started after the sinking of a submarine that was part of his group. He was the CO of a sub, uh, and the sister ship went down. And they realized, after they salvaged the ship, that the men survived the sinking, but they could not be rescued, and that weighed very heavily on his mind. You can read about his vision for an escape apparatus that became something called the mumps and lung. It was a sort of a rebreather that people would use to get to the surface. But that wasn't the only thing that Mumpson worked on. He also worked on a rescue chamber, how it was designed, how it would operate, and how it would attach to a submarine. Mumpson was an incredible naval officer. But the book is also filled with a plethora of heroes. There were four Congressional Medal of Honors handed out for the bravery of the divers who actually uh, went down in this rescue chamber and actually uh, got the men off the submarine and back to the surface. One of the divers who didn't get a Medal of Honor but was decorated in the, uh, the rescue was the first diver to reach the Squalus, and his name was Martin Stabisky. Now, they had uh, found the squalus by dragging a, um, a line by a tugboat and attaching it and, and kind of grappling the squalus And Martin was required to go down a descent of 243 feet on air in a hard hat. Well, he landed on the submarine, and he had to shackle the cable for the rescue chamber to be able to come down I can only imagine what courage it took to make that dive there is plenty of drama in the rescue with the operation of the chamber after the rescue the salvage was next and an incredible feat it took over 600 dives to be able to get everything rigged to lift that boat Finally, after 113 days, the sub was brought back to Portsmouth. There's more to the story, and I'll leave it to you to read. The Terrible Hours by Peter Moss is another chapter in our diving history. Well, that wraps up episode 12 of Scuba Shack Radio. A little milestone again. We've made it to a dozen shows. As always, I'd like to thank everybody who's out there listening. I'm hoping that you're finding the show informative and entertaining. Also, I'd like to ask that you uh, give us a rating on your favorite podcast application. It's always great to get feedback. If you have any ideas for a story or things you'd like me to talk about, please pass them along. We can be found at Scuba Shack Radio or at um, Scuba Shack, our website, Scuba Shack CT. There's still a lot of diving to be done this year, so I'm hoping that everybody's getting out there and have some fun, and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks.